the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. If you've been scratching your head trying to think of a practical use for NFTs or non-fungible tokens, I think we can help you out. You can buy wines past, present, and future with NFTs. That's right. You can reserve your favorite South African wines not yet bottled and at the same time get some of the best vintages from years past, all through the purchase of NFTs. Strauss and Company partnered with five of South Africa's most respected fine wine producers to offer Africa's first fine wine NFT, each NFT holding between 20 and 50 vintages with collections from 66 to 288 bottles. Joining us is Gert-Jan van Rooyen, CEO of Fanfire, which is a Stellenbosch-based company involved in finding practical uses for blockchain technology. Hi, Gert-Jan. Tell us about these fine wine NFTs and how the concept came about. It does seem to be a practical use for blockchain technology, not so? Hi, Kieran. Thanks for having me on. Yes, that's really what we're trying to do is uh, figure out with this emerging tech and blockchain and NFTs, uh, what are the new use cases and new businesses that uh, that it unlocks? Uh, and what we uh, what we did with the fine wine auction, uh, Fanfire has been around for about a, a year now, experimenting with things like uh, NFT ownership certificates for physical collectibles like sports collectibles. We ran auctions with uh, the Sharks uh, rugby franchise to sell collectibles that where the ownership certificate and the certificate of provenance is an NFT. And whether you physically claim the collectible or whether you keep it in a vault for safekeeping is is up to the NFT owner. Uh, So we were playing around with concepts like this when uh, Strauss & Co approached us and said they had the opportunity to get some really desirable wines, um, 30, 40 year allocations of wines uh, with some vintages even in the future. And they'd like to partner with, with us to develop these NFTs where uh, each one of these five collections could be sold as a separate NFT, uh, but where the NFT also holds the ownership certificates for the individual bottles in that in that collection. Uh, and we set up the, the technology, created a new type of NFT that could contain these 200 different wine bottles, but also can be traded as a uh, as a collection of, of wines and held a, uh, a large auction about a month ago and managed to sell these NFTs very, very successfully. It seems there's an appetite for separating the physical ownership of a collectible fine wine, keep it in the cellar where it's kept in cellar conditions. The owner gets an NFT, that NFT is tradable. Uh, so you can have a wine collection that's kept safe, but you can and still dispose of your uh, your ownership of the wine and uh, liquidate it, so to speak, at a at a later stage, uh, or redeem it for the wine if it's ready to be enjoyed. You did kind of answer my next question, which was what the support has been like for these NFTs, and is that support mainly coming from South Africa or is it international? There were international bidders as well. One of the uh, the lots uh, was won by by an international bidder, but mostly South African. And interestingly enough, uh, also South Africans who wanted to pay in cryptocurrency. So, so one of the things that Fanfire does is uh, we want to make NFT ownership and these so-called Web3 technologies accessible to regular businesses and regular people. So in all of our platforms, we support fiat currency payment, credit card payment. You you don't need to have a MetaMask wallet or Web3 credentials to be able to earn that NFT. You have the option to 
register with Google, we create a custodial wallet and we make the interface uh, simple for you. But interestingly enough, we, we did find bidders who uh, wanted to purchase their wines in, in cryptocurrency, which we read as a good sign. Okay, that's quite an interesting aspect to it. So this is really done by auction. You have lots, no doubt, of cases of wine and people are actually making bids on these these lots. Is that correct? That's right. So the, the Strauss & Co. auction was a, a pilot experiment. It was uh, for now once-off that we did in Strauss & Co. and we hope to do similar auctions with them uh, in the future. Uh, in the meantime, Fanfire has also started exploring a, a more general offering for, for fine wines. Uh, we think we've tested the water now with people uh, wanting to own and collect wines, but not necessarily immediately take ownership of the of the physical bottle. Uh, and we started partnering with uh, Lawrenceford here in Stellenbosch to set up uh, what we think is going to be the world's first um, NFT wine vault of this form, where we're getting consignments of fine wines from across the Western Cape, kept in cellar conditions at, at Lawrenceford. And all of these cases of, of wine are also minted as NFTs and made available for sale on the... Uh, Fanfire vaulted wine platform. And the idea is that uh, we'd like to attract wine collectors and investors from across the world to purchase these South African wines as NFTs. They hold on to the NFT, the wine stays in the Lawrenceford uh, wine vault. Uh, and perhaps we're dealing with, an, uh, with a European uh, wine collector who happens to plan to come to South Africa two years from now. They visit Lawrenceford, they present their NFT and exchange that for the case of wine that they've collected. Or it might attract uh, a new type of uh, wine investor who wants to hold a, hold a percentage of their portfolio in fine wines, uh, not bother with the physical ownership of the wine, but but keep them for a few years to, to trade at a later stage. What about the NFT itself? Is there a brisk market for that? Uh, people buy and trade them because they see value in uh, owning it for a period of time or they see some appreciation potential. Well, and where is it possible to buy these NFTs? So the NFTs that we work with uh, can be used to purchase uh, purchase art. So we've uh, partnered with the South African land artist, Sredom Ponomarva, who creates these beautiful installations in nature and often in very remote places. Uh, and Sredom has a, has a type of art that's difficult for the for the general public to see because you uh, often can't visit these remote places and the artwork might only be there for uh, a few weeks or even just a few days before nature reclaims it and we help Stradom to digitize these land art installations create a snapshot in time of what he's created and we sell the full commercial rights to these digital editions uh, as nfts and the nft owners can print those, they can resell those, they can create uh, limited series prints of the of the artworks if they want to, they can use it commercially on their on their websites, they own the digital artwork, uh, the full IP behind that. Uh, and that's something where we've seen some uptake people purchasing the art and reselling it at a later stage uh, after it's appreciated. And this is available where at your website? Uh, straightom52.fanfire.ai or uh, 52collection.com. And the same for the wines. Is that available at the same address? Uh, fanfire.ai will lead you there. So the, the vaulted wine project is in construction at the moment. We're getting the uh, the stock in the cellar now. Uh, and the website will be live for trading within uh, the next month or so. Uh, but details will be on fanfire.ai. And do you expect that there would be a brisk trade from people who are 
keen on wines or, you know, people who just are investors, they might not necessarily want to own the wines or take possession of them, but they see an opportunity for profit here. Uh, the sense we get from the wine industry is that there's likely to be an appetite for this because it, it, it opens up a new way of, of selling wines outside the regular retail outlets. It, it provides a way for the wine estates to directly offer their wines to the broader public uh, without needing a physical visit to the, the wine cellar or the wine estate. Uh, and we also think that there's a market interested in investing in fine wines as part of a balanced uh, the financial portfolio that otherwise wouldn't have had the facilities to invest in, in wine. So uh, we anticipate brisk trade in the wine NFTs as well, where people purchase wines that have good potential for aging, for example. Uh, in the Strauss auction, for example, we uh, auctioned the Milliner wines and, and the futures for the Milliner wines. And there's only been two iterations of this particular uh, straw wine. Uh, but we sold several iterations in future as well. And we think that's a good example of where there's an extremely promising local wine that's being lauded across the world um, and where you provide the opportunity to someone to own that wine, to share in the appreciation of this, this wine. And that's the kind of market that we'd like to, uh, like to create. And it's a really, really nice use case of NFTs because it creates this way of frictionlessly trading ownership without the physical bottle uh, being shipped around all the time. And I would imagine it opens up possibilities for South African wine producers to broaden their international market because, you know, if you've traveled abroad, you do now see South African wines very visible in a lot of supermarkets. And um, But they're limited in the range. You know, if you look at the number of producers that we have in South Africa, I would imagine some people would jump at an opportunity like this to expand the international reach. Uh, that's right. And that's one of the reasons why we partnered with Lawrenceford for the Wine Vault, because uh, they're an established estate. They have the ability to ship internationally uh, and we can get some of the uh, the smaller, more boutique estates into the vault uh, and provide a, a packaged offering where international wine buyers can invest in South African wine. Uh, if they are ready to enjoy the wine, they can have it shipped internationally. Or they might find themselves in South Africa sometime in the future and uh, Lawrenceford's wine vault becomes a destination in and of itself to go to to the estate to collect your wine for your South African trip and to enjoy the, the other amenities at the estate as well. And I suppose the proof of the NFT you could even have on your phone. So somebody shows up at the vault and he says, well, here's my NFT, he shows you his phone and then he takes possession of his wine. Correct. So the, the concept is that you have your digital wine cellar on your phone. It's something that's presentable. Uh, people collect wines because they want to share what they have. It, it becomes a talking point. You want to be able to show your phone or send a link to your digital cellar to a buddy to, to see what you've just acquired. And then if you do want to redeem your wine, uh, select a basket of wines in your vault, that in your personal vault that you want to redeem. Uh, the application creates a a redemption QR code for you that gets scanned when you arrive at the seller, the NFT gets burnt, and you receive the physical wine. Okay, you were previously a professor of Internet of Things at University of Stellenbosch. Now, how did Fanfire start and, and what is its goal? So, yes, I've, uh, I actually spent the better part of 20 years in, in academia. I used to be associate professor in electronic engineering. Uh, back in the mid-2000s, we were sponsored by NASPERS 
to create the uh, MIH Media Lab, which had at, as an objective um, ways to figure out what we now call Web2, uh, what was happening in social media at that stage. Uh, and through our research there, we became interested in blockchain technologies, Bitcoin at that stage. Uh, myself and a couple of colleagues ended up uh, inventing a very early form of what we today call a non-fungible token uh, that we used for anti-piracy technology. So back in uh, 2013, we patented a way to track the origin of piracy by embedding tokens in movies or sensitive documents or any different type or various types of media. Um, we spun that out as a company, Custos Media Technologies, uh, and I spun out with the company at that stage. So I hung up my academic robes and went, went into industry full time. And then a couple of years ago, I rejoined the university as the research chair in the Internet of Things. But at that stage, we were already experimenting with NFTs as an offering. Uh, Fanfire was already born. Uh, and at some point, it just became clear that the opportunities for innovation in industry at the moment, especially in the Web3 space, is really where it's happening for, for me right now. And I, I decided to remain associated with the university. So I'm, uh, I'm an extraordinary professor. I still uh, give the occasional lecture and do some research supervision. Uh, but I decided to pursue the uh, fanfire opportunity full time. But talking about Web3, uh, we hear a lot of talk about that and the metaverse. Maybe you can give us a you know, fairly practical example of how this is going to change our lives. But also at the same time, what are some of the uses for blockchain that you're working on? I think at the moment, the uh, non-fungible token space is an interesting one. Uh, not so much the uh, pictures of apes, although we think that the... the um, Recognition of digital art as an art form that's now saleable through through NFTs is a, is a very significant movement. Uh, but we're interested in how you transform existing businesses and markets using these technologies. So we're interested in things like uh, fractional ownership of high value assets like uh, uh, fine art, uh, looking at resources and things like that, um, and using blockchain to create a very user-friendly opportunity to engage in these markets. Uh, our positioning is to be user-friendly in the first place, to not assume that um, all of our end users that we're working with are crypto savvy, but taking many of these ideas that are bubbling up in the in the crypto space at the moment and trying to figure out how you, how you convert that into something where the tech is underneath the hood. Uh, but where you build a very attractive car around it that you can present to the broader public out there. Maybe just give an example of Web3 and how you see that is going to develop over the next couple of years. How is it going to be different from the Web2 that we're currently using? Uh, that, uh, that's an interesting question. The If you were around in the 70s and 80s, you uh, early 90s really, you'll remember, remember the protocol wars where uh, the computer industry we're still figuring out exactly what the best way is for computers to interoperate and, and communicate. And eventually the internet protocol emerged as the as the winner takes all protocol for intercomputer communications. And in 94, 95, that, that led to the World Wide Web uh, and what we today call Web One, where anyone could publish, where you could read, but there was very little interaction uh, with the content on the internet. 
Uh, and then in the mid-2000s, we saw this shift towards completely new applications of uh, the internet and the web, where the web suddenly became interactive and became social, and where our social networks started to become replicable on the web, and where interaction became live. That was a fundamental shift in how we used the technology. Uh, and now we're starting to see the integration of ownership with the web, where blockchains and wallets are becoming a component in a web browser, where there's a movement to start moving away from the large centralization companies in the in the web, the Google, the Facebook, uh, the Amazons, uh, that really control your identity or provide identity mechanisms on, um, on web too, to a system where you own your identity, your identity is part of the cryptocurrency keys in your in your wallet, and you own things that are in that wallet, and you can transact peer-to-peer with other users on the on the web or with other applications on the web, and where you get not just human-to-human interaction uh, and exchanges of ownership, but also interaction between humans and, and machines. So it's, uh, in my view, part of this, uh, this Internet of Things revolution, this Industry 4, that we're starting to see interoperability between individual users, individual browsers, and applications that communicate with each other directly. Right. It, it does uh, bring to mind the book that was written by George Gilder called Life After Google, where he talks about this very thing where people take back possession of their identities, their online identities, and the footprints that they leave, which, of course, are being monetized by the likes of Facebook and Google, and they're able to sort of customize these ads because they know that what your footprint is as you march across the internet. Um, so it does really look like we're, we're heading into a very much more um, personalized and interesting field where you'll be able to, first of all, store all your personal information and not have to fill out forms, the same forms, like if you're applying to a bank credit, you know, you just well, there you go. There's my personal identity. There's my balance sheet. There's my whatever. Exactly. And you already kind of have a sense of this because if you've got a MetaMask wallet, uh, which is free to download, and that attaches itself to your browser automatically. So you can actually transact from that already. I guess this is kind of where we're going, right? I think so. And uh, you asked about other applications and projects we, we're working on. Something I can't speak too much uh, about yet is a project where we're looking at campus communities and how you uh, enable students and staff and alumni to interact in better ways amongst each other and with the various societies and with the various events and collect your memories of your uh, university years in a, in a way that is um, in which you have finer grand control over what you're doing than would have been the case by uh, of just having a Facebook page for a uh, particular residence or something like that. So we uh, we see the Web three transition not just as a way of transacting online that's that's going to be different or owning your identity online, but also the way in which uh, interaction between organisations and users uh, is is facilitated in new ways and where loyalty and um, belonging to a certain organization or tribe is uh, is going to be uh, be facilitated in new ways and that, that's really what we we started to do with the sharks project about a year ago trying to see how we can uh, reinvent fan loyalty uh, by creating not just digital and physical collectibles that are shared through nfts but 
wallets and loyalty programs and playable cards with uh, player stats on them and things like that to more actively engage with uh, a fan base than just uh, giving giving vouchers or giving loyalty points. Just talk very quickly about the Sharks project that you were involved with and the aim was to build more loyalty. Was there some success? Were you able to measure that? Uh, it's ongoing. So our relationship with the uh, the Sharks is uh, is continuing. Uh, we started out just by testing the waters again with uh, digi- digital and physical collectibles as NFTs. We ran a number of auctions for the Sharks where uh, anything from print quality digital photos to Captain Pepsi Pitalesi's boots, uh, centenary uh, 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 jerseys and things like that were were auctioned off. Uh, but the, the longer game there is to try to figure out how you more continuously engage with your with your fan base, where a fan might have a subscription to the Sharks wallet. Uh, and it's a paid subscription. And each month you get a drop of uh, random collectibles that can unlock other prizes and give you real world privileges. Because that's another nice thing about NFTs, for example, is it's not just about earning a digital artwork or earning a bottle of wine. You can use an NFT to represent a certain privilege, like being like having access to um, the locker room before a match or uh, being able to sit on the reserve bench uh, during one of the matches at King's Park and things like that. And this remains tradable. So whoever has the NFT has the privilege. So almost going to replace your season ticket in a way. You have an NFT for the Sharks. You can you can show up and you get all these privileges. Uh, that's right. One, one of the, I think, more desirable NFTs that we auctioned off with the Sharks auction was a uh, perpetual season ticket to the president's box at, at King's Park, where you have access to a really, really nice space to watch the rugby game. And whoever has the NFT has access to uh, to watch the game from there. And do you think the Sharks are ahead of the curve on this? I haven't heard of any other rugby teams or any sports teams at all doing this. Yes, I think so. Uh, the, the way we did it, especially by combining physical and digital collectibles with NFTs, was, as far as we could establish, uh, the first in the in the rugby world. I've heard criticism that blockchain is a solution in search of a problem. Would you agree with that? Really, we're we're trying to find very fancy um, problems to solve using blockchain when there are other solutions out there. Absolutely. Now, uh, at my previous business at Christos Media Technologies, uh, because we were a blockchain business, we um, we often had people knocking at our office door, pitching some other idea using a blockchain for this or using a blockchain for that. Uh, to the extent where we printed out a flowchart, do you need a blockchain uh, with a bunch of different decision points, and basically saying for most things that you want to pitch to us, you don't need a blockchain. You can you can use a database, and I think. We were very careful in selecting use cases where a blockchain, where a token, where a non-fungible token really makes a difference to what you're doing. Um, and I think for the collectible wines, uh, to us, that's a very nice use case. People don't want to ship wine around while trading it uh, the whole time. It's nice having a digital ownership certificate. It's nice removing that friction that you can buy wines from anywhere in the world and own them and they stay in the cellar and the carbon footprint is reduced because you're not shipping things the whole time. So that's an example of a nice use case. I think there are many uh, less useful applications of uh, of blockchain, but I won't go so far as to say that uh, blockchain has no useful application. And I remember when the same was said about 
Bluetooth or people laughing at QR codes, saying people would never scan a QR code. I remember people saying Twitter is ridiculous. It's uh, it's useless. What what can you do with Twitter? Or that the internet is a fad. Uh, so so quite often early at the early stage of a technology, things look like toys, and it looks like something that people are playing around with and trying to figure out what to do, but it doesn't seem to have any clear use case. Uh, I think blockchain itself is beyond that point. I think NFTs are starting to prove themselves, but fundamentally, I believe as technologies, they will shape the future of the web. Okay, on that point, what, what are some of the trends to look out for in the coming year or two? I think some of them are going to be bad. Uh, if I look at the Gartner hype cycle for NFTs, for example, uh, Gartner places NFT technology at the peak of the hype cycle right now, probably already starting to uh, slide into that trough of disillusionment. I think there's, and this is something we often see with emerging technologies, is there's some initial excitement about the possibility of the new technology. People start trying out new, new things. It gets traction. It gets attention. More people jump on. And suddenly things become frothy. Uh, and you see a lot of projects that uh, are me too applications of the technology, but might not have a long term uh, might not have long term prospects. And I think in the near future we're going to see a bit of a disillusionment with with NFTs. What we're trying to do is figure out what's that plateau of productivity for NFT technology and aim for that. And again, Gartner estimates about two years from now, uh, we're really going to see NFTs become mainstream under the hood of uh, regular consumer applications. So that's the, uh, uh, that's the one trend I think is going to happen. But on the positive side, I think that's going to push the uh, emergence of utility applications of Web3 tech, where the NFT is not about the NFT and earning an NFT, but where the NFT or the blockchain technology is under the hood and enabling things that were either impossible or had lots of additional friction in the Web2 era. And funnily enough, I was reading a, a headline just yesterday from the Daily Mail. Uh, I think it was 1999 or around 2000. The internet is a passing fad as millions leave it. <laughs> so. I, I saw that as well. And it's, uh, it's fascinating how often you see that kind of technology, uh, that kind of reporting around emerging technology, like the number of times that I've seen Bitcoin declared dead over the past 13 yeah. years. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I think we're going to leave it there. That was a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much, Gert-Jan van Royen, who is the CEO of Fanfire. We really look forward to seeing how these NFTs for fine wines progress and whether this is a way that investors can actually make money. And also the Sharks NFT that you're busy with. What a fascinating project. So thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Kieran. For listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.